where did I put the script? <laughs> the pace line is supported by LEL Cycling. The coast is calling. LEL's shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LEL products are crafted in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now, on to the show. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, Celine Yeager, a.k.a. the Fit Chick of Bicycling Magazine. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. How are we doing, Celine? I am doing quite well. How are you, Patrick? Uh, I've gotten some full nights of sleep now that my event is over, and I'm no longer stressing about it. How about you? Um getting some sleep we're walking over a lot of boxes and bags and leftover stuff from the event but uh uh getting some sleep but it went it went super 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 well i'm i'm very very pleased we had fall weather it was a little chilly but that's okay and uh people just really i love the route i was really blown away myself even though i reconned it like it was funny Uh to see it all 120 miles strung together because i really didn't know what order it was all going to come in you know, like oh. we did it in pieces, and then Dave just put it all together. And I never uh-huh. actually saw the full route in its final form. So it was kind of a surprise to me, too. Um, and it was, man, it's just so, so, so beautiful. It's funny, Jay Petterberry, I probably butchered his last name. Petterberry, yeah. Thank you, Petterberry, uh, was out, and he just kept saying, it's so lush. We just went by, it felt like we were by running water all day, whether it be like a waterfall or a river or a stream, and it was uh, a lot of positive ions or negative ions or whichever ones are healthy, they are co- you know what I mean, caused uh-huh. by oceans and waterfalls. Uh, but it's it was just spectacular. It was really, I think what, what Dave does well with Roots, and I told him after it's done, is that he likes a good reward. So every endlessly interminable climb was followed by just this amazing descent that you thought would never end. Like, you're just like, wow, we are still going downhill on just really nice, beautiful, grippy dirt roads, you know, like, so you weren't scared, mm. you weren't, it was, uh, yeah, it was really great. It was, it was so much fun. Allison Tetrick came out and Jim Cummins was there from Dirty Kansas. Yep. And it was just such a joy to showcase Central PA, which many of them had never been to. Yeah, just like show them like what it's all about. And, uh, you know, the ride goes by like an Amish buggy dealership of sorts. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, I guess people have to buy them. So there would be a dealership, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, we went by. I'm like, what are all those? I was like, that must be a dealership because they were just sort of all lined up. It was funny. Uh, either a mechanic wow. or a dealership or some such thing. But it was definitely it was super interesting. And people got whoopie pies for presents or you know, for. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Whole thing. Did the whole thing. So yeah, so we're in a good place. We'll, we'll clean up in 2025, I think. But you know, that's that's fine. It's fine. How about you? How'd it go out there? Uh, well, I'm I'm eating burritos for lunch and dinner right now because we did have some leftover food, and it's too yeah. good to do anything else with. I should probably set some of the attendees home with burritos. Oh, definitely, we um, sent whoopie pies home with everybody. Or. <laughs> 
we'd be in the but, same situation. You know, we had a we had a really good ride on Saturday. Um, I've done the old Cas route. I don't know half a dozen times myself, and the conditions we had on Sunday were the prettiest I've ever encountered for that oh. little slice of Sonoma County. Uh, the creek was low. The descents were hero dirt. I just... That's great. That's uh, great. You know, a couple of us got to the bottom of, of one of the descents, and we were like, wouldn't it be fun just to turn around and do that again? That's when uh, you want an e-bike. <laughs> just put yeah. it on, turn the battery yeah. on, zip up, and just go back down. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. we won't lift open that ser- can of worms. Lift serve gravel riding. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Magic carpet. So, yeah, it went really well. There were some very, very cool bikes on display. Uh, one of the people who came down for the event was George Mount sixth at Mm -hmm. the 1976 olympics in the road race uh george brought uh a couple bikes from albert eisentrout and a gold-plated gianni moda uh so there were there were some very very cool bikes he brought custom-made shoes so he had this little time capsule of stuff but he had the last bike that albert eisentrout you know, arguably one of the greatest frame builders in the history of, of frame building, not just American frame building. Mm-hmm. Eisentrout, he's as important a builder as there's ever been. And the last bike he ever made before retiring just a year or so ago, a little more than a year, uh, was a gravel bike for George Mount. Wow. Pretty cool. I think wow, that's, that's uh, cool. That's a cool way to end a career as prestigious as his. So we showed off some really neat stuff. Commotion showed off a gravel tandem, the Kalapuya, that I have I have heard I, of this beast. I it was um, only a matter of time. Somebody needed to do it, and they were the right company to do it. I 100% agreed. Yeah. And I have heart palpitations. It's going pitter patter. Oh my gosh, the thing is so cool. Yeah. Did you get on it? No, no, it was it was kind of a showpiece. Okay, uh, okay, it might have fallen apart if you actually wrote it on gravel. <laughs> I mean, it is a showpiece. Often they're not bolted together yet. Oh no, this thing this thing was ready to go. It was oh, just okay. clean. It was showroom oh, clean. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and yeah, it, I would ride that thing in a heartbeat. Um, and yeah, Sunday's Sunday's course would have been a really interesting test for it. It was funny we imagine. got to the rest stop and I had charged some other people with running the rest stop for me, of course, because I was out riding with everybody, guiding them. <laughs> and we get there and some of Saturday night's beer was out on the table. And it was done, I found out later, as just kind of a joke. But then some people saw that there was a grinder of unfinished P- Pliny the Elder and they pulled out cups and started having some sips. So that really yep. cracked me up. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, are you going to let it go to waste? Right, it's no, there. I don't think so. <laughs> so we had a really wonderful time. You know, it was a small event, about 30 times smaller than yours, but it was really intimate. Um, yeah. Everybody loved the food. There, the the breakfast before Old Cas, one person did say, well, we could add a little more food. I just figured people might eat a second bagel, but that's one thing I'll I'll work on for next year. The the waffle truck that showed up on Sunday morning, oh my gosh. Those waffles, like traditional Liège yeah. style Belgian waffles, just off the hook. The guy had been up all night preparing food. That's awesome. Yeah. 
I had I had no idea what I was asking him to do by showing up to an event in the morning, and I deprived him of a, a night's sleep. Probably so, not the first time. It is a waffle truck. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's I, like a bakery. I, so to speak, I let him keep the change. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I'm so jazzed by how this went. I don't know how Dave feels, but I'm already starting to plot for next year. I now see what other promoters talk about. Oh, yeah. No, he was starting to talk about it almost the night before, but definitely as soon as the last person. You know, there, was, there were 600 people out, and that's a, that's a lot of people to take care of. Uh, it could easily yeah. grow to a thousand. You know, the question becomes, what do you want to do? Do you want it to be that big? Do you want it to be, you know, like there is too big. So you sure. know, I think it's, yeah. So it's just going to be finding that right, um, that right point. But the nice mm-hmm. thing is, is there were four distances. So it's 120, 90, 55 and 30. Uh, so you didn't have 600 people in mass on any one of those particular starts. So it, it, it was nice to have it, you know, divvied up that way. And I think it could certainly grow. Each of those categories could grow without it being crowded or, you know, to t- deterrent to the experience. But, yeah, it's uh, it's something. It was really exciting. So we'll see. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Well, OK, what do you got for us today? Well, unsurprisingly, I've got gravel on my brain. Um, you really? know, and 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 it had it had me thinking, and I had a lot of conversations with people at the event, and sort of ongoing conversations that I've had with people inside the industry and outside the industry. So, you know, I'll throw it to you: when you go to a gravel event, or you're signing up for a gravel event, what are your expectations of the terrain that you'll be on? Like, what do you, what do you, what do you what's in your mind's eye when you're signing up? Well, I look out at the horizon and I let that inform me. So if it's rolling hills like the Flint Hills of Mm -hmm. Kansas, uh, I expect rolling hills. And if I'm in Sonoma County, I expect brutally steep climbs. And what if you didn't know those places, though? What if you're sitting there and you're signed up for, say, unpaved or something in Arkansas or Tennessee, like somewhere that you don't know? Again, you know, well, yeah, if I'm signing up for it online. Yeah, that's what I mean. Ooh, I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't presume to know. That's okay. the thing. I would not presume to know what I was signing up for. I would figure, okay, I'm signing up for dirt roads, but I would be scouring the website for the event looking for clues about what it is I should be bringing because I would make no assumptions about tire size. Mm-hmm. I would make no assumptions about the knobbiness of the tires. Mm-hmm. I would make no assumptions about gearing. I would make no assumptions about clothing either. And so I would be looking for an all, more than anything I've ever done in my life. Signing up for a gravel event in a place I haven't ridden before, I, I'm going to want flipping war and peace from the organizer to tell me what I need to do. Interesting. See, and, and it's funny, I, I the, the thing that I keyed in on most of all those things you said is you said, I'm going to assume I'm on dirt roads, which I think is not unreasonable. But I, I do an event, and this is not the only event of its kind, but I do an event in September, I mentioned it on a previous show, called Keystone Gravel. Gravel is in the name. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really a free-for-all on drop bar bikes. Like, there's to, at this point, there's not a whole lot of gravel in said Keystone gravel. Um, it, it's got 
single track that some people would be scared to take a 29er mountain bike down. It's got, <laughs> you know, a lot of baby heads and root drop offs. It's 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 gotten pretty technical and pretty single track heavy. Um, and it's interesting, like, you know, as gravel, quote unquote, gravel events have grown, I think people have come to expect something like an Almanzo, a Kanza, you know, either like they have in their head that, it, yes, it's going to, you know, be difficult, but the difficult that they expect is like you mentioned, like, is it going to be, you know, loose? Is it going to be whatever? Is it going to be steep? Will there be much of climbing? Um, but they don't necessarily expect mountain bike terrain, I, th- I think. <laughs> um, you know, sure. but heck, like even Rebecca's Queen Stage this year, uh, her Queen Stage race features 16 miles of single track. You know, granted, nice. it, was, it was smooth and flowy, but it was part of their local mountain bike racing system. And some people love it, but other people are blindsided by it. And frankly, not always expecting or wanting it. You know, there were people who took six (laughs) or six and a half hours to do 40 miles at that Rebecca's first stage. And that's that's a that's a long time to be out there for for 40 miles. Um, Yeah. Yeah. On a a gravel event and actually any event. Um, And there were people walking long stretches of the technical terrain at, you know, Keystone Gravel. And at the end of the day, they. They were less than thrilled just because that's not what they were expecting, right? So I had this talk with a friend of mine afterwards who isn't the most sympathetic of characters. And, you know, he just sort of quipped, you shouldn't be surprised when the hard thing is hard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's a certain Zen-centeredness about a statement like that. He is an ultra runner, right? He he does those crazy, like, 100-mile-on-your-feet sort of things. So, but... You know, I get that, but I, but you know, going into this stuff that at some level it's going to be difficult. You know, I, th- I think that you think that it's going to be difficult because it's going to be windy or it's going to be really climby or the gravel is going to be sharp like, like Kansa. But I don't think that people expect that there's going to be long stretches of mountain bike trails. And I'm not against including them. I, I personally love them. But I can't help feel that those events that venture into truly gnarly terrain somehow become something besides gravel, like an ultra cross, which is like throwing it way back. Like before we, everyone was doing gravel, I mean, we were doing ultra cross events. Do you know what ultra cross is? You're kind of looking at me no. a little blankly. I can see the blank. Okay. <laughs> well, which that means might other people be my natural blank. demeanor, but <laughs> in this particular instance, uh, I have not heard of ultra cross okay i might want to though please continue cross ultra cross started i believe i someone's going to call me out if my if my history is wrong i think it started with three peaks in the uk um oh okay yeah and we have one here called iron cross uh which is the the original one in north america which i'm doing it's like an hour or two away from me uh this weekend it's been going on for 16 years and when you sign up for that you know you're signing up for Goat paths, rock strewn single track. You might have to swim up a river. You're going to be laying your bike up a you know, rock climbing. Like, you know, whatever you find in a state forest, you're going to be taking your drop bar bike and trying to do something in it. And no one Excellent. complains because they know what they're getting into. You know, right. the expectation re- matches the rea- reality of it. And I think that, uh, you know, as gravel continues to evolve and I'm, it's totally here to stay, you know, I just wonder how it's all going to shake out and if we will ha- have this division of like, now we're doing adventure races or this is, we're going to do gra- gravel ram. Could we do gravel ram? Like, is that all, <laughs> you know, 
are you going to see Red Bull rampages on Salsa Warbirds? And but but everybody, I think needs. I think we're going to have to start defining it, you know, as it moves forward. So people have, you know, I don't know. What do you think? Well, the the definition is, is the definition is be prepared. <laughs> Let's well, just borrow fair. the Boy Scout motto. But in that, I don't I don't mean I don't think it's reasonable for people to show up to an event without an understanding of what it is they're undertaking. So you're putting it on the person, like my friend, like you're saying, well, you should have done your homework. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm putting it on the promoter. This, this is a matter of communication. Now it sounds like part of iron cross is be prepared for crazy. Yes. You know, uh, you've heard about these previous events and it, it will get weird. And that's okay if that's how you want to do the the reputation of your ride. You know, if you want part of the reputation of your ride to be the unknown, mm-hmm. that's totally okay. I agree. Now, there are two different grasshoppers that have single track in them. Uh, maybe three now. I didn't actually do the one that was this past weekend. I was uh, otherwise right. engaged. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the Mendocino hopper this past August. Day two, we had, I don't know, 10-ish miles of single track midway through the day. And some of that was pretty gnarly. It was not easy hmm. terrain. And I was very glad for a sub subcompact crank because a 3032 barely got me up some of those climbs. And then the, uh, the Super Skaggs uh, Grasshopper in May, at the very end of it, there's like 10 miles of single track and again on ultra difficult terrain. Now there's a variation of that one that allows you to skip the single track. If you mm-hmm. think, <laughs> please. And thank you. I've had enough gravel for today. I've, right. You know, and I mean, there are crazy steep pitches at Lake Sonoma where this takes place. And so it's it, the difficulty level to be, 90-ish miles in, maybe it's six miles a single track and it's a 95-mile day, so you're like at mile 89. I can't quite remember. But you get so far in and then you get to the single track. And I remember just kind of laughing and shaking my head at the absurdity of the situation. Mm -hmm. But I loved that because I want to be taken into those existential places of, wait, what, what am I doing? (laughs) <laughs> what brought me out yep. here? Yep. Why did I need to do this? I love that. But I accept that a desire for that experience may be at the shallow end of the bell curve and that a lot of people just want to go out and ride a dirt road and not be hassled by cars. And so mm-hmm. I think it's the responsibility of the promoter to give a clear indication of what to expect, even if that clear indication is be prepared. I'm not going to tell you what to expect. Right. That's fair. That's fair. So I I love the idea that we aren't, you know, that we don't have a USA Cycling defining what our sport is for us. You know, a, a, a bunch of, oh, I won't go there. <laughs> Steve Penny, former CEO of USA Cycling, was just arrested. So there's a lot to not go there. But I like the idea that you know, maybe Dirty Kansas is a place where you can't show up with teammates, or maybe you can. And maybe somebody's going to create uh, a gravel team time trial. <laughs> you know, 
Who knows? Yeah, whatever. It's I, wide I said open. gravel ram. Who knows? Yeah. There's another event I would not want to do. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the idea that it's open to creativity and we don't have a bunch of people in striped shirts telling us what we can or cannot do. And I think that's part of what has really invigorated cycling for dedicated I enthusiasts. I totally so agree. Anything yeah. we can do to just continue to blow it open and say, yep. I don't know, dream it up. Because I, I like actually, that. that was embarrassingly one of the uh, many April Fool's posts that I fell for a couple of years ago that they were going to. <laughs> so, I actually shared it like a moron before someone's like, <laughs> Yo, check the date. Like, was one of those people um, that what, they what were going it? to reg- they were going to regulate gravel that you, that you see. Oh, oh. I can't even. I was, felt like such an idiot, you know. But it, but to your point, like it was just close enough to reality that you could believe it. Yeah, it, yep. it, it really was. So I was, yeah, I think that I, I fully agree that that's the that's definitely part of the appeal. And in the you know honestly, in the case of some of these races, I do think. That with just doing a little bit of homework, you can probably get an idea for what you're into. But I, I think if people are going to be on gnarly, gnarly terrain, it, it should be a little explicit. They should, they yeah. should, yeah, they should know that. Yeah, unless you really want your event to have a reputation for the unknown, and the idea that the unknown can be very unknown or very challenging, then. Yeah, I think it's on the promoter. I I think that if you don't communicate well with your audience, well, then maybe your event goes away. Well, you know, I think, there's a I, certain Darwinian yeah. element to this. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's in danger of that. I also think I remember on a, a previous element of your show, maybe it was Neil uh, Shirley who had said that he often judges the bike he's going to ride by what the promoter rides. Does that does that ring a bell? He did like some sort of gravel. You know, little how do you choose your tire thing. I can't remember. He did a post on it. I remember talking yep. to you about it. And that he'll often look at what the promoter is riding, which is yeah. really interesting. And the guy that, that runs Keystone Gravel essentially has a mountain bike with drop bars on it. So if you're looking at his pictures of his bike, you should go, huh, that's what he rides, huh? Note to self. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The the first, maybe the only time, but the first time Neil rode, rode old Kaz, uh, Miguel, the promoter, was on a diverge with 33 millimeter triggers. And Neil rode a diverge with 33 millimeter triggers. So, I mean, he does really practice what That's he preaches. That's interesting. Wow. He also flatted, though. I did oh. not. I was on 38s, did not flat. Take that, uh, he Neil. still, I mean, he could have, <laughs> yeah, he could have flatted eight more times and he still would have finished an hour ahead of me. Um, but, but I, I no. don't want to flat. So no, I, I flatting. take I what the motor says about tires with a grain of salt. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. Here we go. What do you have? So I'm going to begin with a question for you. Oh, we both have questions to begin. That's yeah. Exciting. How good do you think you are? As a cyclist, from a technical standpoint, road, mountain, cross, everything. E, you know, all of the above. All of the above. Um, I think I'm. I think I'm pretty good. I. I it's funny. I, I wonder that because. Let me put it this way: having sort of come up in in Pennsylvania and on the East Coast, where the terrain is so very different from the rest of the country, 
I think mm-hmm. I'm outstanding at riding rocks, right? Like there's some things that I do super, super well because I learned on them. Like I'm very, very comfortable with them. But then I'll go out and people are like, oh, you're such a good technical rider. Like you're going to just crush this thing. And it's all pea gravel over hard pack. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell this does. Yeah, like I, this is scaring me to death because I'm not used to it. And it takes me like every time I go west, it's almost like learning again because I'm just like I'm so not used to that surface. I'm not used to to to, to just I know what mud does. I know how mud is going to hook up. I know all that stuff. Like, but as soon as you put me on like this blown out, dusty, silty, loose, it, it feels very different to my tires. And I'm just not, I don't spend enough time on it at this point. So. You know, I think it's just, you know, it's that's a it's not it sounds like a cop out, but it's not it's not. It really is just depends. Um, there are some ways that I would like to be more technically adept. I would love to be able to, let's say, huck a little bit more or go off of, you know, get a little more air underneath my tires. But I I have always been this way. And with each passing year, I'm a little more so I do this little risk reward equation balancing act. And I have to ask myself all the time, like, Okay, is the reward of getting four more inches off that whatever it worth like you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like landing on my face oh, and maybe a little bit, yes. Yeah, so it's 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 hard. I, I often think about taking I think we might have had this discussion. I do think like a friend of mine runs clinics and he's very, very good. And I feel like I'm at the point now that I might like really exponentially benefit from such a clinic because I have such a feel for my bike and I know like I have such intuitive uh, notions of how it handles and I I know enough like I think sometimes people benefit a lot from lessons when they know a whole lot already because you already have right right you already have this really big base so it it does it intrigues me and I'm and someday I I probably will I, I haven't yet but yeah and on the road you know I'm good enough like I I corner pretty well whatever and I'm never I'm never going to push it past comfort on the road because that's not worth it to me. That's just not worth it to me. I'm not doing the Giro anytime soon. I'm not. It's just I'm happy enough with how well I go down a hill, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for my part, I like to think I'm reasonably capable. I know how to conduct myself in a pack. I know the basics of how to launch a sprint from within a group. Mm -hmm. I know how to do a rotating pace line and can descend mountains faster than cars can. Yep. Okay, so I've got that. I know that I still can't do what a pro can do, though. But off-road, while I'm reasonably good at negotiating technical terrain, like getting through and over rocks, maintaining traction on surfaces that aren't hero dirt, and how to keep the front wheel down on pitches that are 30% or more. <laughs> yep. I can do those things. Both directions, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am forced. When it comes to airtime, though, like you were talking about, I measure my airtime in inches, not seconds. <laughs> I have yep. a full complement of pads, as well as the Bell Super 3R helmet with the removable chin bar, as well as even a proper full-face helmet from Kali. The moment I contemplate doing a ride with pads and something protecting the lower part of my face, which, let me remind everyone, I have previously removed with blunt force trauma, I chicken out. It's funny to me that... I would think I'm on the verge of being reckless when I put on a full face helmet 
yet I wouldn't ever dream of riding a mountain bike without a helmet at all. Mm -hmm. That seems a pretty narrow band in which to work. (laughs) Uh, But here's the thing. Part of my desire for myself and my life is to continue learning and growing. And that includes my physical skill set, you know, whenever possible. I have a goal for myself to increase my mountain bike skills in 2019. I have set a goal. Specifically, I would like to get to a point where I can handle a five-foot drop and jumps of three or four feet. That's as tall as I am. I'm a little Uh, taller than that. Okay. Yeah. They make bikes for this, though. I'm fully aware. I've had them in my garage. The weird thing is I can handle I can handle the stuff in certain places, you know, I or at least stuff that's nearly that big. But move me to a different location and I can't do half that distance. Mm-hmm. And I remind myself of this cat that my mom's friend had. The cat could jump on top of the refrigerator from the ground. Just one big ass leap. Boom. Up on top of the refrigerator. But there was something mental about the cat. And we know cats are mental, but this was different. The cat couldn't jump to the countertop, which was three feet lower. The cat had to jump on top of the refrigerator and then would jump down to the counter. And I'm suddenly starting to feel like I've got a certain affinity for that crazy cat. So what I want to do here is solicit input from you and our listeners on ways to work on my skills. I know there are really some really cool camps out there. There were some women friends of mine this summer that went and did uh, a clinic with Cat Suite up in Washington, and only one of them broke a bone. It was a rib. So, you know, not a collarbone or anything. Yeah. Um, I'll probably chicken out, (laughs) but if I can exceed, if I can at least meet or maybe exceed those modest goals, I'd sort of like to cap this coming season of growth with a trip to Crankworks at Whistler. So this is a this is a request more than a question. You know, what should I be doing? I, sessions at a bike park. I mean, that's the only way in my mind to do it. Uh, and it and that's part of the reason why I don't do this stuff. If I'm going to be completely honest with everyone and myself, is that I like. Um, I don't necessarily need to get my endorphins that way. I like I like the endurance stuff. The endurance stuff satisfies me. So if I'm gonna if I've, my time is limited, mm-hmm. it's not as it, I, sessioning things at a bike park does not satisfy me the same way. Do you know what I mean? Um, yep. But I do think it's the only true way because because you, it's you have graduation. You know, you can start in a blue and go to a green, and then your, your stuff you're talking about is black. Right. Like if you're using the ski terminology, you know what I'm talking about. Um, And if you can have a person who knows what they're doing, uh, ideally a coach with you on a couple of those sessions. Like I was saying, I I think you might be surprised at how quickly you can excel at some of those things with somebody just giving you your body English and when to pull up and when to where to put your weight and how to far to push your bike forward and all that stuff that. You know, you kind of intuitively know you're supposed to do, but you need to you need to drill it in. So when you're going off that five foot thing, you're not thinking about it 
right? Like, okay, yeah. you know, butt back, something forward. Like, it should just be at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I went with a, it's funny, we had a, a, a feature at, um, we had nationals here at Bear Creek, which is really close to me a couple of years ago. And there was just one vertical drop that was making me completely mental. And it was rollable even, but it was just, I would ride up to it and freeze and ride up to it and freeze and ride up to it and freeze. And finally, I just went with a friend. I'm like, have patience, you know, help me out. But we're, and we just did it and did it and did it until, but I, I never got that hit out of my stomach every time I rolled up to it. I rode it every single time, but mm-hmm. that that dreadful, I was dreading it halfway through the course, and as soon as I would get, you know, that feeling, like, that thing is coming up, that thing is coming up, I hate that thing, I hate that thing, oh, here we go, ah, down the thing, you know, and that's, I, that's not really the best way to approach technical things, because that's when things go wrong, but yeah, I think yeah. you have to just session, and you have to do it in a way that builds on itself so you get self-efficacy and you get all the form down and all those essentials down that you need once you start going bigger yeah it's crazy i mean to to put a specific instance on this there's a spot i go mountain biking out west county and right when we get inside the gate uh to ride there there's this one little place where there's kind of a ramp that you can ride up it's dirt but where the the fire road is cut, it's, it forms a sort of ramp. And so you can go off it with two inches right. or eight inches or two feet. And at its height, it's, I don't know, the, the max height where you can, you can launch yourself. It's maybe three and a half feet. Um, yeah. I don't think it's four feet, but, you know, at least three feet. But, yeah, three and a half maybe. And... I'm at the point where, you know, I've graduated myself up that thing progressively until I'm I'm jumping off of it at the last possible inch of it. And so I know that I have the body position down. I do this and roar into the next little thing that I'm going to hit. But when I get to this other place where there's a uh, a tree trunk down uh, at, at this location in Annadale, there's a tree trunk down and the ground kind of peels away on the other side so that it's, I don't know, two and a half feet. I get to that and go around it. <laughs> well, a lot of it, some, so much of it is the optics of it, too, or, or not even sometimes it's not the optics. It's, it's also, you know, the landing is going to be different every single time, if, especially if it's not a built place. Where you know the landings are are built to be ideal for reentry onto the earth, um, so it, it yeah it, I I can understand like why you know when you approach something that looks different then your reactions are going to be different it's not going to be as quite second nature it, this does remind me have I ever told you about when I went off of when I did go off a big jump did I ever tell you that story. No, nope. oh dear God! And I this think is, you need to start. This is so ridiculous. This is the most. I was riding with Dave down at Fountainhead, which is this purpose-built bike park down where my brother lives, outside of Washington D.C. Um, one of the like the Virginia suburbs. I can't remember the name of it, but so it starts just like that. It starts blue and it goes to green, and then you end up on these black trails that are you know they have they have all kinds of stuff. You can go around anything that's too scary though, but they have a lot okay. of jumps. Built wooden yep. jumps, like you go off, boom, land on the thing, and I, you know, it was going off the small ones, maybe a foot off the ground, you know, maybe two feet, um, 
And I was ahead of Dave, and there was this this group, and it was it was quite a big one. It was definitely like a kitchen countertop, if not higher. It was it was it was up there. It, it could have been five feet. Um, and these three people just went off it like nothing. They were just like it was a couple girls and this guy, and they were just like, oh, just you know, hold your speed, zoom, zoom, zoom. And I sit there and I watch them. I'm like, what am I afraid of? Why won't I go off these things? I'm not going to be afraid. And I got on the thing and I went. I just went for it. And as soon as I hit the air, I'm like, this is the, this is a grave error. This is the dumbest thing you have. What have you done? Because I was on like my niner. I was on a cross country 90 mil bike. And so I was just like, with no full face, I with nothing. So I, I, I look and I'm like, well, I'm going to land because that's gravity. So I'm trying my best and I land and I just smash all the suspension down to like, I just clunk. I'm like, oh, maybe I landed it. And then it just sort of shot me into the, I, I, I pretty much carcassed. But I got up, I've got like leaves in my hair, I've got leaves stuck in my frame everywhere because it was fall. And Dave comes riding up and I'm like, don't go over the ramp. And he's like, why would I go over the, he's like, what were you doing? <laughs> but like, I, to this, I just, I'm so glad, I would have been so angry with myself had I had actually hurt myself. Like I would have been like so... But yeah, that was my, and it was, I don't know. I, I have no lesson there, audience, for that. I don't, need, I don't know what to tell you, except like, if you're going to do it, have the proper equipment. Have the right bike. Yeah. That, that, I might have actually landed it. I, I might have actually not, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I did land. <laughs> Everyone does. <laughs> yes, you do. You always land. Nobody's ever told the story where, you know, I just didn't land. It. I didn't land. It was awesome. It was the best thing ever. I just, I just didn't hit the ground. But yeah. So I, uh, I'm interested to I see want what your journey is. Like, I think, uh, do you have a bike park accessible to you? Uh, there's one I haven't been to yet that isn't too terribly far away. And I keep trying to talk my boys into joining me, uh, for a little trip down there. They've got some kids stuff, but it looks like they have some bigger stuff. And so, yeah, I want to give that a try. The thing that I think about is there are rides that I do where every now and then there's something kind of big and gnarly that you can take an alternate line. It's not sort of bike part built bike park built, mm-hmm. but there are these opportunities to take an alternate line and do something, you know, a little more rad. And the idea of inserting that sort of stuff into a longer ride so that you get this big hit. Oh, uh, I would be all state, about that. I'd love to do that. Yeah. You know, just, just getting a ride punctuated by those things yep. uh, uh, rather than spending all day at a bike park. I really love that idea. And also, I just, I like the idea of being a crash test dummy, not so much the crash part, but probably the dummy part of, you know, okay, yeah, I've had my 50th birthday. What am I capable of? Has my brain locked down too much on fear to prevent me from doing this? I... I'm 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 biting my tongue because I, there's this also thing that, of wisdom that comes with age. But I could, I don't know. There's fear and what like what's the I don't know. Like I I hear you and I know what you're saying and I get it and I I I fully embrace that myself. I just feel like th- there's also that I don't know. I don't know. You have no. You will have to decide that for yourself. 
Mm. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> we, we, will, we will find out. To be continued. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All righty. Uh, Paceline Picks? Sure. I have, a, um, I have a book this week, and it's not out yet. It's out in February, but I have a, one of the sort of, you know, send it to the media and see what you think sort of copies of it. And it's called Good to Go, What the Athlete and All of Us Can Learn from the Strange Science of Recovery. And it's mm. a book by Christy Ashwanden. Uh, she's, you know, she's a really good science writer. Uh, the, the title's a little weird just because I'm three quarters of the way through and it's not just about recovery. It's pretty much just about, yeah, I, I, that's something that I feel like one of the editors came up with and, or maybe it was originally going to be that, you know how it goes. But it's, yep. It's it's about hydration and fueling and all the stuff of sports science that goes into performance in general, you know, maybe with a little heavier bent on, on the recovery side. But, you know, it's a really good read and what I'm liking about it, and I've read a billion books on sports performance and recovery, is that it the main take of this book is how it illustrates – and in my business, we're very guilty of that, of overreaching on the science, of overstating on the science. And then to the point where that overreaching and that overstating becomes gospel and nobody knows where it came from. Do you know what I mean? That mm-hmm. happens all the yep. time. It's like drink eight glasses yeah, of water a day. Wisdom. Once people yep. started looking for that, they're like, where did that even come from? And it, it, it started that one thing with the Internet now that that happens all the time because all it takes is one person to say something in an official sort of platform and it gets picked up ad nauseum. And all of a sudden it, it, people are just spewing it as truth and it's not necessarily rigorously proven. Right. And case in point, and it's stuff that I've written about an awful lot, icing injuries you know, is inflammation a good thing or is it a bad thing? Antioxidants, high, drinking to thirst, all that kind of stuff. And so much of this stuff that, you know, we've actually gotten ourselves in a little bit of trouble over the years, like telling people to drink, 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 drink before you're thirsty, drink to, you know, and then you get a bunch of people ending up with hyponatremia. And it's way yep. better to be a little dehydrated. In fact, there's a lot of arguments that you can perform better with a, even mild amounts of dehydration. Marathoners do it all the time. Well, they do it yeah. all the time. You know, Timothy Noakes, I mean, he's got his own thing going on. I don't know if you know who that is, but he's a very, um, he's pretty abrasive. He, 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 he's strident and he takes his own thing and he's all about sort of taking a lot of devil's advocacy kind of stuff. But, you know, he has a book called Waterlogged and it, and it, it, it has a lot of cases of that, like, about how the body, and a lot of this is intuitive, and I've thought this forever, that sometimes we tell people to override their body signals, and that doesn't make sense. Because our bodies are not really necessarily made to, you know, they're telling us stuff, and we should be listening to it. And I think, as I mentioned on a show before, it, the waters get so muddy because we do talk back to our, those body signals so much. So, like, when should we listen, and when should we ignore them? You know, if it, like, if I'm telling my legs to shut up, should I be telling my thirst to shut up? Should I not be eating when I'm hungry? Yeah, all that kind of stuff. So, right. But this book just does a really good job of outlining um, a lot of the, the just putting up a tall body of research with all of these common things that we talk about. You know, whether it be drinking during performance, icing after, you know, like getting into an ice bath after a marathon, all that kind of stuff. And I'm I'm just really enjoying it. And I think that anybody who's kind of geeky on that kind of stuff or would would just enjoy the read and take something from it. Wow. Very yeah, cool. Good to go. I, I look forward to learning more about that book. Uh, I might have to request a copy for myself. Sweet. Yeah. So my pick relates to my poll. 
It's the Bell ah. Super 3R. This mountain bike helmet is really pretty unusual because it's got a removable chin bar. Out of the box, you know, it looks like a relatively lightweight full-face helmet. Pop three little latches and the chin bar comes off, turning it into a more trail-looking helmet thanks to its excellent back-of-the-head coverage. And I should also add that the chin bar is actually pretty easy to carry on an awful lot of hydration packs. So I've, I've taken it with me and then left it hanging on the hydration pack. That's a separate issue. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> Rather than some thin plastic outer shell, the Super 3R has an in-molded polycarbonate shell, which increases its strength and durability. It's equipped with MIPS so that in twisting falls, you're less likely to end up with additional injuries because the helmet prevented energy dissipating movement. The the visor isn't fixed, so you can push it up should you wind up deep in Redwood Forest, which has happened to me um, (laughs) with regular frequency. Uh, The amazing part is the helmet's only $230. It wouldn't surprise me had it been $400. It's so good. one of the coolest things about the helmet is it comes in 17 different color schemes. Wow. 17. I've never seen a helmet come in so many different colors, um, as well as, you know, three different sizes. So I wouldn't many be able helmets to choose. Are only, uh, it was, I, I was not given the opportunity to right. choose, and I'm sort of grateful for that. I would have been paralyzed. Um, but, you know, an awful lot of helmets only come in two sizes. This one comes in three. It has an integrated camera mount, which is pretty cool. For a cool, GoPro. You know? Yeah, because yeah. video, duh. Yeah. Um, and it goes without saying that the helmet has both CE and CPSC certification. Cool. Pretty nifty helmet. I, I really like it a lot. Alrighty, well, that's a wrap for this episode of The Pace Line. Celine, now that you've got unpaved done, <laughs> what are you up to this weekend? Iron Cross. <laughs> So oh, yeah. right, you said yes. yes. Iron Cross. Um, I, I have to say, it's taking me. Uh, it, willpower is not an endless resource, as, as somebody once said. It's this is the last event of the season, and it's been a long season. So, and it's going to be thirty degrees at the start line. So, it's taking every ounce of the well of motivation to dig in. Once I'm out there, and it's so fun, and it's a great course, but. It's, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be glad to take a true break. Uh, it's mm. on Sunday once this thing is in the books. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, before we go, um, oh, just to remind everybody, something I do think we should be doing more of is fielding requests for segments on the show. So if you've got an idea, please drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments. Now. Before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for RKP's other podcast, The Pull. The show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one interviews. Thank Terry Gross for the bike set. This week's guest is Rebecca Rush. I'll be interested to hear what you think of the interview, Celine. You got to cool. give it a... Yeah. Since yeah, you, know. you know her better than anybody. I know her real well. Yep. <laughs> Finally, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.